this glorious day the Lord has made. You gotta get, get like right up in it. The reading today is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. That would be page 536. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's begin. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he was made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of great deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping, warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to this a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome to the second season of Advent. I love the season of Advent. It's a Fancy church word for the four weeks leading, oh, this is kind of double mic'd here, Le- leading up to Christmas, and as we've talked about it uh, already this morning, it's a, it means a coming or arrival of something great or intense, anticipated, uh, and it's just a beautiful season because we, on the one hand, a beautiful time to be alive, I would say that, because we, on the one hand, we've seen the advent of Jesus come. He has come. Uh, he was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, but we are also still waiting for another advent, another coming of this same king. Uh, anyone, anyone into uh, Christmas music here? Anybody get your Christmas music on? Yes. All right, we're going to play a game, uh, a Christmas music game called Name That Lyric. So I'm going to read lyric and, le- and you've got to fill in the blank. Okay, just shout it out. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her. Good. All right. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Wow, you guys are good. 20 Jesus points. All right, this is a tricky one. This is like double jeopardy. 
So bring him incense, golden myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The good salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. This is Christ the whom shepherds guard and angels sing. All right, next one. You will get a sentimental feeling when you hear voices singing, let's be good. No Jesus point for that. So maybe that one doesn't belong. But uh, we, I go through all that just because we're going to talk about the good news of great joy that Jesus is the king. Uh, that's what we're calling this uh, Advent series, Good News of Great Joy. And uh, yeah, in the words of the great theologian Kanye West, Jesus is king. But, we, but because we live in a free democratic society, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus is king, often doesn't land on us maybe with the full weight and goodness uh, that it could. Uh, so to kind of help it land or place the good news of Jesus' kingdom in our lives, you know, just consider, like, is anyone here confused about why things are the way they are in the world? Struggling against despair because the world seems like it's just a chaotic swirl of brokenness and pain. And just to, you know, give us an image to kind of, like, ground this. I think I have a picture here. This is on the front page of the paper a few days ago, weeks ago. It's a refugee family. It's like mom and dad and a few kids here. They're packed into a motel room at Bel- in Belarus at the, at the Polish border because the government of Belarus promised them a way to get into Poland. But it was kind of a lie where Belarus was trying to weaponize refugees to like get them into Poland and kind of jack with Poland and like burden their, the, the systems in Europe. So just like, you know, put yourself, put yourself, it's just like one family, you know, fleeing a situation so bad that it was better to uproot their entire lives and flee to something like a total unknown thing only to realize that you've been lied to and just used in this geopolitical game. I mean, dads, put yourself on that bunk, on that bed with your kids. Imagine the looks you're getting from your wife, like no job, no money, no resources, no ability to care for your family. It's awful. Nations rage and scheme and struggle for power and resources. Like, doesn't it feel like we as a global civilization, like we we need an adult. (laughs) Like we need a grown-up to come and settle us down. Like toddlers fighting over a toy, which is like my whole life right now. Sorry to be a a downer here before Christmas, but I I do that because we're going to meditate on this text in Isaiah 9 that just has this beautiful, breathtaking hope for everything to be made right under the one true king. This is like one of the, you know, all-star, classic, best-hit Christmas Advent passages. You know, it's got the Handel's Messiah line, you know, for unto us, a child, I don't sing opera, but unto us, a child is born, a son is given. And the, the whole point of this passage, and really the entire book of Isaiah, is that Jesus is king, that a kingdom is coming, a new Jerusalem will be established under the one true king. Isaiah 9 is a royal birth announcement of the one true king who will bring the eternal kingdom of God, whose reign of peace and justice and righteousness will expand forever and never end. This is the the good news of great joy that I hope fills our hearts and minds this morning. The kingdom of God is is already here in part and someday will will fully come. Do a little theological context. You know, we, we love the gospel here at Redemption City. And the words of our great saint, Timothy Keller, the gospel is a multifaceted jewel, this beautiful good news, this reality that we can hold and marvel at from all these different angles. 
And the angle of the gospel that we see in this text today is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God, the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus and someday will fully come. The, the Greek word used for gospel in scripture is euangelion, which means good news. And typically in scripture and throughout history, it means a royal proclamation, a, king, a, king, a king's herald uh, issuing uh, the rule and reign of a king. This is how the gospel writers introduce Jesus, reveal Jesus, or summarize Jesus' message in Mark, in Mark 1 and lots of other places. It says, now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel. According to the gospel writers, the message of the kingdom was core to what Jesus preached. I had to hold myself back from showing the Bible Projects uh, video uh, called the, the Gospel of the Kingdom. Highly commend that to you. Go home uh, and, and watch that video and then just get sucked into the rabbit hole of the Bible Project and have a great afternoon. But for now, just to define our terms, I'll use uh, I'll reference St. Timmy again uh, and use his definition of the kingdom. This is Tim Keller's definition. is life with God under his rule. The kingdom of God is life with God under his rule. And I love that definition because it shows us the point of everything. Life with God, union with God, being with him, and and joyfully with trusting, loving obedience, living under his rule. That's the end game for every single Jesus follower throughout all human history. But I want to flesh out this idea of being under someone's rule. In, in the ethos of today, we are only under our rule, functionally. I mean, that's, that's kind of just like the, the water we swim in. You know, we ultimately decide, which of course is true. Like, we, God in his sovereignty has given us a will, agency. Like, we, we decide how we live and stuff. But, you, you know, how we live now is we watch a YouTube video, someone talking about a way to eat or work out or something, and what do we do? We consider it. We tweak it. We add it to other videos that we watch or other things that we read. Like, we are on the throne kind of just, like, gathering things and forming how we want to live. We're in a, in a place of incredible autonomy and freedom where we decide how we live and what we do, and some of that's good. I mean, I think a lot of folks in North Korea could use a lot more freedom and autonomy in their lives. But if you're like me, aren't you a little bit tired of it, like, as we move from the information age to the disinformation age, like it's exhausting to figure out what to believe. Like we got to fact check everything we see online, and even then we look at studies, but then they're contradicted by other conflicting studies. So now we got to learn about meta analysis, and this is just to like figure out what to eat for dinner. You know, like we we're not trying to be scientists or anything. And then we look at government policy decisions that are made that seem wrong or scary or uncomfortable. We don't really, we can vote a few times a year, don't have a lot of ways to participate. And then there's this just like horrifying reality of human nature called, fallen human nature, called unintended consequences. Have you heard of these? There, there were finite humans doing what they think is right at the time, but they couldn't see all the outcomes, and it goes really bad. So on the one hand, if you're like me, having so much trust and faith and hope in any authority where we'd be able to, put down our arsenal of defenses and skepticism and cynicism. It, it, it kind of makes me want to like go make a farm commune out in the country somewhere. But on the other hand, the good news of the kingdom of God means that I could put down all those, that arsenal of defenses and skepticism and cynicism because it would be the one ruler, 
who's not only so good and loving and kind and just and merciful and wise, he's also powerful, perfectly capable. He doesn't just know the answer. He can do the answer. The good news of the gospel, is, in part, is that we can rest on that, trust in that, relax in the reign and rule of God, and just be joyful, loyal subjects. Can you imagine the peace, security, the joy of just being told what to do? Maybe this is just like, you know, being middle-aged or whatever. That sounds so good to me. Being told what to do in complete confidence. Why? Because it's the one true king who loved you literally to death. I can't tell you how much I ache for this. It's, and it, you know, in, in my story, one of the, the main lies that's always floating around in my head is, it's all on me. It's all on me. And part of that is sin, like pride and this God complex I keep trying to shake. Some of it's just being hurt, you know, like the world's broken and rulers make bad choices and they're just not Jesus. When I, in those moments when I can, you know, get past that lie, get past the, the rants in my head, the anger and the pride, what I see in my own soul is this scared, anxious little boy that just wants to be led, just wants to be a loyal subject of a, the one true king. Play my role in submission to God's glorious plan of redemption. That is not on me, it's on him, and I get to join it. This is part of the good news of this Advent season. So let's dive into our text here, Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So a little bit of context. I'm trying to, I'm trying to rein it in because I got sucked into studying Isaiah as a whole book, and there's just too much for Advent sermon, or any one sermon. But Isaiah has two themes. Uh, judgment and hope played out in two kingdoms. They get started right away at the beginning and then get played, uh, played out throughout the whole 66 books in lots of different ways over a couple of different centuries, uh, specifically in the people of God being attacked by pagan nations and taken into exile because they've rebelled against God's good rule with idolatry and injustice. And the judgment there is a purifying fire that refines hearts, uh, to, is meant to refine hearts to long for the, the kingdom, the, the one true kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the one true king with the government on his shoulders, which will be peace for all the nations. So judgment and hope is exactly what we see referenced here in verse 1. For her who was in anguish, referring to the people of God, at the former time brought into contempt, the people of Israel experienced judgment and the natural consequences of their judgment uh, against the kingdom of God. And, and just we've got to keep it on the map here. This is both individual rebellion and, and corporate rebellion. You see things happening to the entire nation of Israel because of you know, the general, like, this, like society-wide ethos of the time of action, or, or like the actions of the king doing something foolish and like the whole people going into it, uh, which is uncomfortable for us in our current day and age. Uh, but then there's also rebellion on a personal level. Uh, and so we, we've got to keep these both things uh, on the map. Our, our rebellion in our hearts, in our church, in our country, in society, you know, leads to darkness, to anguish. There, is two, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the, and the kingdom of of evil, of darkness. Those are the options. So we're both sinners with rebellion in our hearts against the one true king. We're both sufferers living in a society in a, in a time 
uh, that is not fully under the kingdom of God. Um, you know, to be clear, America is not the kingdom of God. We want to talk about that now, but just I just got to say that. And this verse, this verse shows us that Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying about the future kingdom. I love this. The, the Galilee of the nations is, is a direct flashing neon hyperlink to Jesus, basing his kingdom proclamation ministry out of Galilee, that would then, which is just like this you know, northern rural region of, of Israel. And out of, the, out of that ministry in Galilee, all the nations would come in. It would spread, the ministry of Jesus' proclamation would, would, would spread beyond the Jewish people to fulfill the promise of God that through his people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Isaiah is preparing the people of God to have hope as they go through the purifying fire of suffering and judgment. Because it won't always be that way. That's not how the story ends. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So Camille and I, uh, when we got married in the mountains of Northern California, uh, we honeymooned up there. We like, got married in this little town and went to a cabin. And uh, it's a long story short, but we ended up uh, doing this kayaking adventure uh, where people told us it'd be awesome. We're not kayakers. Like, we would have never picked it. It was just literally thrust upon us. And uh, so here we are, we, our, our truck is like parked down at the lake, go down the, go down the river to the lake, and uh, we get dropped off, and all I have are the truck keys in my pocket. Is it? Those are the only supplies. And it quickly turns out that the water was way too low to actually like float da- down there. And so we're like, everyone's recommended this to us, so surely like right around the corner, the water gets deeper, right? And we can, we can start floating. And so for hours, we're like dragging the kayak across slippery, sharp rocks, shredding our legs. And, and, and it was like summertime, but it's in the mountains and snow melts. So it was like super, super cold. Eventually, we abandoned the kayak and we're like, we're just going to walk through the woods to the truck. Uh, the sun went down and we're just like in the woods, in the dark, cold and wet, uh, just walking, you know, like not, we've been married three days at this point, <laughs> like not, not knowing if we like run into a bear and that's all we get, you know, God, God answered our prayers for three days. Um, after hours, like literally five or six hours of walking in the dark, we got to the top of a hill and saw a light in the distance, very far away. It was, we were still in the dark, but at least we, we saw a sign of civilization. We could walk towards the light. We weren't totally off course. There was a chance of rescue. I wish I could bottle up the feeling that we had when after hours of walking in the darkness, cold and wet, we saw the light. And that's the feeling that we're seeing here. People in darkness, darkness of their own making, and darkness that they were subjected to of other people, like seeing light in the distance. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nations. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy the harvest, as they are as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Here we, we get some just beautiful, joyful imagery. Like these moments and you know, these moments in life that just like fill you with joy, set you on fire. We see the people of God who through oppression and suffering and judgment had been killed in the thousands will now be multiplied. And the, the, the metaphors here, like joyful at the harvest time when the land has produced more food than you have ever thought possible or joy like when, when the army comes back from battle. And not only did your husband or your son not die, but they came back victorious and they came back with cartons and, you know, carts and wagons full of riches to be split up. These, these incredible moments of delight and joy, waiting realized, things you were waiting for realized. 
verse four and five. The yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It shows us uh, two things. First, the important reality is about oppression. If you look at the book of Isaiah and read Second Kings along with it, shows God's people going into exile and slavery. They're being oppressed by evil nations. You see like the rod and the yoke. These are like not fun, fun terms, being beaten and chained to things and stuff like that. Um, and God's people are rescued from that. It's shattered. It's broken. This is a, a key uh, aspect of the text where we see the, the beauty of grace. When he says, on the day of Midian, that refers to uh, Judges. There's a, a hyperlink to this cool story in Judges where Gideon is about to go to battle with this army, and God's like, you got too many people. He's like, okay, you guys go home. Still got too many people. He whittles it down to this tiny little band of men to where they go into battle so small that the only way they're going to win is if God does it for them. We see oppression being alleviated from God's people uh, the, the suppression that was a result of rebellion and sin, but God breaks, breaks the oppression by grace, not because they deserved it, uh, but because he's merciful and gracious. And verse five paints a beautiful picture of war being over. All this stuff having to do with blood and violence is burned and not needed anymore. And now we're at the money passage. Verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It was our royal birth announcement. A child will be born and given to us. For what purpose? so that the government can be on his shoulders. I think we're all in agreement that in our political moment that the weight of government is crushing human shoulders. And here we see in the kingdom of God, the weight of ruling everything, the weight of government is on one set of shoulders, the only one who can bear it, King Jesus. And then Isaiah goes to give us some names for this king, of the one true king. And this description is so hopeful, so beautiful, uh, that like, as I was like studying it, it felt like uh, to like riff on the light metaphor. It's like when you're in a room and then someone turns, it's dark and they turn the lights off. You know, it kind of like hurts. Like, oh, I can see finally or whatever. But it kind of hurts for a minute. It's like you soak into these terms. It just kind of, it, it's a lot to just stare at. The first one, wonderful counselor, combines the idea of doing something wonderful and extraordinary or miraculous with the skill of wise advice and making plans or counsel. So, King Jesus will exhibit miraculous acts of God's acts of God in the sphere of wise planning or decision making. Oh God, haste the day! Like, is anyone else exhausted by decision making? Like, even just in our own lives, like, where are your kids going to go to school? Which homeschool curriculum? What should you move? Where, what job are you going to do after college? And that's just for like our own tiny lives. Like, what about national, international policy? You know, the role of government, the regulation, what are we going to do about COVID? All, you know, all these things, it's overwhelming. And the good news of great joy is that someday we will have a king who is miraculous and good at making wise decisions. A king who has no unintended consequences. Those are, those are going to be a thing of the past someday, unintended consequences. 
Mighty God means that he is God who will rule. Jesus, the one true king, all the power and might of the almighty God resides in him. And so with this miraculous wisdom, he, he has the power to execute the wisdom, to do it, to make it happen. Everlasting Father uh, is not actually a reference to God the Father in the Trinity uh, in context, but it's a common way that people would refer to or conceive of rulers or leaders of people or tribes, kingdoms. And it means here that uh, he is the fulfillment of the promise of God to David. God made this promise to David that someone from your family will be on the throne forever. So he's the everlasting leader, everlasting ruler, which is also doubled up in verse 7. Uh, He said, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Uh, So we see Jesus fulfilling God's promises here. And it also shows the kindness and compassion with which he will reign for forever. As a a compassionate father, his kingdom will expand and his influence will create peace without end. Nothing will be able to stand against it. He will be be the prince of peace, end of war. Just imagine that. I have like, no, no war, no threats, no enemies, all oppression, anxiety, fear will, will cease. And it says he will uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. There will be peace because the king is just, because he rules in perfect wisdom and compassion. You know, how are we doing with, with, as a society with justice? Like, we ache for it. I love that about our current moment. And maybe more than any other time in history, we're aware of these systemic injustices woven into our history what do we do about it, you know? And, and God help us. It's not just out there. It's not the unjust people out there. Like, it's in me. It's in my own heart. The right and righteousness, you know, refers to the, the right standard of relationship between people. Like, how are we doing relating to each other as, as a society? Like, not great. Public discourse isn't in a super fun spot right now. And could it be because we don't have a true king? We have these, like, super fractured narratives and super fractured understanding of how things should be run. So is it... Surprising that we can't talk to each other, but under the Prince of Peace, when he rules with wisdom and compassion, it brings this right relationship. Life with God under his rule is now available to us in part and will someday be fully established. Lord, haste the day. Let's do a little check-in. How, how, how are we doing with all that? I feel like I'm hitting all these like sensitive triggers or whatever, but... Some of us, I don't know, you might still be back at the intro where you're like, wait, joyfully submitting to an authority, uh, you know, and trying to imagine an all-powerful good authority just like shut your brain down and you just took a nap. Uh, some of us might feel crushed with despair. This is a place where I live a lot. We think it, uh, the gap, living in the gap between the, the picture we have of the kingdom of God and like what my day-to-day life looks like and what the newspaper, look, newspaper looks like every day. How do, we, how do we keep reading the paper and fighting sin in, in this waiting, I honestly I just feel I was pretty emotionally raw this week thinking about the kingdom, and it just opens up this longing, this desire, this vulnerability in me that's hard to sit in. I kind of want to like quit until this wonderful counselor comes, you know? Like, can you just come now? Can I just get like an email, you know, every day, tell me what to do? And and my hope is that we can ache and long together for the kingdom of God. It's just such a common refrain of the people of God. Come, Lord Jesus. The last line of the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This longing and ache to feel the gap between the picture of the kingdom and then our reality that we're living in. It, it, we talked about it recently in a, another sermon, waiting. We're waiting people. We've, we've seen the great light. 
in the distance. We're in the dark. We've seen the great light in the distance. Like, can we just hold hands and walk towards it together in hope? We've seen, the, we've experienced in part life with God under his rule and reign as he makes our hearts new, brings us into repentance, seeing a need for someone to save us from our rebellion. We get new desires that now long for the kingdom of God. Friend, if you long for the kingdom of God, that's a beautiful evidence that God's at work in your heart. We long for the kingdom of God instead of war against it. So as we, can we walk together in the dark holding hands just soaking in the kindness that God has given us his word that says things like, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Even though we're still walking in darkness. I have two invitations for you to consider this morning. The first one, we see grace woven all throughout this passage. The undeserved favor of God is all over it. Like at the day of Midian, this miraculous victory that God gave Gideon. And then in verse 6, what does it say? The son is earned. The son is deserved. No, the son is given. This is the only way to receive the king. The only way to enter into the kingdom and receive his reign and rule as a gift. The coming of the kingdom, the government of Jesus that will expand with limitless peace and justice can only be entered when by grace when we own and repent our own rebellion against his reign and rule. We confess the ways we've tried to be our own many kings, our own deciders of good and evil, and the ways that we've hurt people, real people in our lives by trying to be our, our own rulers, rule our own tiny kingdoms. We receive as a gift entrance into this kingdom because this king, this prince of peace, mighty God, died for our rebellion. With treason, historically, some, the, the, the treasonous person dies. And the mind-blowing reality of the kingdom of God is that every single person that gets into the kingdom of God deserves to die from rebellion. But this kingdom is a kingdom of sacrificial love. We see in the Gospels that Jesus was crowned and exalted as a king, not to uh, a throne with a gold crown, but with a crown of thorns lifted up on a cross. Have you received that gift? The royal son, born to usher in his kingdom of peace, who died for your rebellion and my rebellion. Let's talk about that. The second invitation for us this morning is for folks who Maybe you've had an encounter with Jesus, a time or season of life that was really sweet where you were faced with the reality of your sin, your need for forgiveness and grace, experienced some sweet fruit uh, of new life, but now just kind of feel lost and stuck and defeated spiritually. I think the invitation for us in this category is allow Jesus to not only be our savior, but also our king, our master, our Lord. Let Jesus be the authority in your life who shows you how to live, whose teaching and practices define your entire life. Pastor Mike and I read this book this week from Richard Lovelace, and he has this quote about the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is nothing other than the proper ordering of our activities within the framework of obedient love of God and compassionate love of neighbors. I love that, the proper ordering of all our activities, like our lives under the kingdom. Jesus can't be our savior if he's not also our king, the authority in our life. Sometimes, you know, 
we re- reduce the gospel down to what one author said, you know, just sin management. Just deal with my sin, give me some forgiveness so that I can go, you know, chase the American dream or whatever. So the question to sit with is, to what degree does Jesus and his kingdom influence how we live? The decisions that we make, the habits that mark our lives. This has nothing to do with earning salvation. It's only by grace, only by God's work that we could even desire Jesus and his kingdom. But it does, have, it does require some kind of effort. Like that, that word is in the Bible. Like the kingdom, nowhere does it seem to be a part-time hobby. You know, it requires us to like sell everything and buy the field. It's, it's pretty you know, superlative and all-encompassing all when it talks about it. But at the end of the day, it's making up every effort to, to set ourselves up to receive this kingdom. Like we can't, we can't like force it or anything. We, we receive it, the glorious goodness of God. And I think Jesus thread, threads this needle beautifully in Matthew 11. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that rest for our souls? Not as we like lay down and take a nap on a big bed, but as we yoke ourselves to Jesus. We see this, this swapping of yokes, if you will. There's this yoke of oppression that Israel was under that has been broken, and now we have this new, beautiful, restful, restorative yoke where we can yoke ourselves to Jesus, learn from him, work with him. Are you tired? Consider yoking yourselves to Jesus in practical ways. So shameless plug, we're doing a, a class in January. We're going to spend eight weeks starting January 12th talking about living in the kingdom of God or becoming like Jesus. You can sign up for that and we'll just soak in it. We'll talk about practically. If you want, like, what does it look like to yoke myself to Jesus? What are some tried and true ways that that's been done in the past? But in the meantime, the best place to start is just to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Coming to the end of the year, you might be setting goals or habits or whatever for 2022. It could be, I did this a couple years ago. Uh, it's a really powerful thing to, to make a goal to read all four Gospels each, uh, each month. It, it doesn't take that long. It's like 15 minutes a day or, or less or something. Uh, and just let the, the teaching of our King, of the Prince of Peace, just begin to marinate and soak in us and frame how we think and how we respond to things. Uh, let it be you know, more true to us than all the other things that distract us and The question for us is this, are you weary, heavy laden? You crave rest, there's rest in the kingdom of God. One day we'll be fully here, be our reality. And right now we can step step into it in part and experience the goodness of life with God under his rule. Let me pray. Oh Father, I thank you for the gift it is to just soak in this passage. I thank you for the good news that we have. A, we have a counter story to the swirling stories of chaos that we see around us. I thank you for just the breathtaking picture of grace that Jesus would die for our rebellion against you, um, that we don't have to earn this kingdom or anything like that. And Father, I pray that you would uh, quicken hearts here. I pray that you would uh, quiet our hearts as all the anxieties, all the decisions we have to make that we're struggling with come up. Would you just give us the sweet uh, experience of casting those cares on you because you care for us. Father, I pray if anyone here who hasn't uh, embraced Jesus as king, uh, that you would just uh, give them courage to step out and explore what that would look like.
Father, would this be a season of hope because of what you've done in Jesus and the hope of what uh, his kingdom will be like. In his name, amen.